I grew up with very, very little money. And so I think for us, all the action was always happening in the kitchen. You know, that's where our visitors would come and sit because my mom was always cooking and, and having wine with her girlfriends in there. So wherever there was the most life happening in the house is always the house you have the most fond memories. Welcome to Ideas of Order, a podcast dedicated to answering the question, what does home mean to you? I'm Jeremiah Brent. Today, guys, is really special because we have someone whose words exude warmth and love and healing to countless measure. She is a renowned author, an artist, an activist, my personal favorite poet and a friend. Welcome to the show, the ever-talented Cleo Wade. Where did you grow up? In New Orleans. I, oh. I actually feel like because I grew up, I feel like New Orleans is such a huge part of my personality and, and identity. And I used to always say that I had three parents, which were like my mom, my dad, and the city of New Orleans. Will you describe it to me? Because I'm fascinated with New Orleans. I've never been. It's like on my what? list of places to go. I know. That is freaky for you. I know. Especially. I don't know what's wrong with me. I know. Plus I don't the know design. What's wrong with me either. I'm the, I feel like I, I feel like I wouldn't come back. Um, but what was it? So explain that to me, third parent. Like, what was it like growing up there? Do you know the thing about New Orleans is New Orleans really, you know, when people say that New Orleans is a place that has this kind of European sensibility in America, I think what they mean when they say that is that it's really a city centered on culture um, over commerce. And mm -hmm. so because of that, you know, you you don't, I personally have never met a workaholic from New Orleans ever. Like, I, I could never say that that is uh, like, I, I'm like scrolling through my mind to be like, I, I never met someone whose job was so important. They didn't sit down and go out to lunch yeah. or, um, you know, have time to go to Mardi Gras or Jazz Fest or um, any. I mean, there's there's po'boy festival. I mean, we go very hard with festing. Right. And so I think this idea that you're rooted and centered in community and music and food and family uh, and friends that are family and, and real neighborliness. I mean, we really knew all of our neighbors and they'd give us a ride to school and they'd, you know, and, and I think because of that, or every kid played at the same ballpark and all the parents were friends and, and it was very, um, kind of centered on, you know, personal relationships and connection. And so, yeah. And so I think for me, um, something that really, I think benefited me when I moved away from New Orleans is that I never really lost that. You know, I've always, if I sit next to someone at the dinner table, I always end up being friends with them. I've never kind of had that like really transactional or wonder kind of what you could do for me if I talk to you or you, you know, or I've never had that, you know, I've always kind of wanted to really know about someone's life and what they like. Right. And I wasn't really, um, I guess, drawn to the boxes they fill or tick because that just would, I think if I just sit down in New Orleans and say to someone like, what do you do? I think is, is a really weird question. It's really not like that. Real. I don't know. As your first thing, you'd right. be like, oh, what's your favorite Mardi Gras parade? Or like, oh, where'd you da, da, da. Or like, what neighborhood are you from? Or, and so I think it's, that really tells a lot more about people than however they make money. I despise that question when people ask know, what you hard. do. It was one of the reasons that first, like the first reasons that I fell in love with New York because I went to dinner and there was a writer 
there was a ballerina, mm. there was somebody that was an art, there was a designer, you know, it was like all these different facets of life and everybody's just looking for a connection, which is what I think it's always been about. Um, what was it like growing up there? Can you paint me a picture of like, like what was home like for you? Like what did it look like? What did it smell like? What did it feel like? So there's a running joke that I'm always trying to turn wherever I live into New Orleans. And so like, I always want these like dark velvet curtains and I paint rooms really dark colors or these really weird, like, I don't know if you can see this. So this painting behind me, I don't know if you can see it. I'm going to move my computer a little bit. You can do it. Let me see. I always see it as a shoe. It's okay. So this painting is so crazy. I love that painting. It's um, when I was in around my 30th birthday, I'm having about to have a really big birthday in New Orleans. And um, a bunch of my friends are going in for it. And I see this painting on like first dibs right before. And I was like, you know what, I am going to buy that painting for myself for my birthday. I didn't see the seller. I didn't see anything. I just saw that it was there. And I was like, Mm -hmm. I was like, you know what, let me get through paying for my birthday before I buy this piece of art. But I'm going to like, this is what I want to have. I go to my favorite interior design store in New Orleans called Sunday Shop, which you would love. Everything about it is just beyond. It's like the first place I tell people to go because it's the perfect mix of this kind of really present. I I can't say modern because you don't feel modernism there, but it's a very kind of present, current, like kind of perfectly married aesthetic with kind of that ancient southern new orleansy rusticy it's it's so beautiful um and they i walk into this store because i always go with a big group of my friends on that in the morning before lunch and i walk to the back room where they used to have these kind of linens and things and this painting is on the wall no the one that you liked and i had no idea like i love collecting african-american portraits because i find that so many just kind of had got you know sent to like, you know, we're devalued into thrift stores and whatever. And mm-hmm. so I always say that I, I like rescue black portraits, bring them into my home and give them this like a beautiful place to live. And yeah. so um, I I see it there and I really can't believe it because that's the reason I was drawn to it is because it's like my exact color palette of everything I like. Like I always have something has to be mustardy and something has to be kind of like a really dark red, rich burgundy velvet and cognac and a really like light, happy blue and brown and black. Like I love these really deep, rich colors, Beautiful. but it's because I grew up in the French quarter. And so I, I actually really grew up in that really old French aesthetic of this mm-hmm. kind of really like rich, dusty, like everything feels like an old playhouse. Um, Ugh, and so I, um, everywhere I feel like home has that. So I always have some, room in my house that is either like dark dark green or you know and it has to have this really kind of juicy almost like jazz club you feel like there's i have like an incense burning and you feel like there's smoke in the room um at my house like my house here in la has a our entire bottom floor is like painted almost like a dark navy black and everything's like green velvet and gold and it's very moody what, was there a space when you were growing up in your home that was really important to you that you like look back fondly? Um, you know, I think, um, you know, I, I grew up with very, very little money. And so I think for us, 
all the action was always happening in the kitchen because, you know, that's where our visitors would come in sick. My mom was always cooking and, and, and having wine with her girlfriends in there. So I feel like wherever there was the most life happening in the house is always the house you have the most fond memories. So I think for us, like, you know, we always had a playlist on and we'd listen to, you know, Nina Simone or James Taylor or Aretha Franklin uh, or, you know, Curtis Mayfield in the kitchen. And so the kitchen was our dance floor and, and my mom had this like awesome, it was kind of like a, you know, those like kind of square islands that are also your dishwasher. Yeah, of course. Um, but hers was on wheels. So of it course, would move. Because you had to move would, it. Yes. And we would move it around because it was, because it was, it was not big. It wasn't like a big island, you know? No. And so yeah. we'd move it around so that we could dance on these linoleum floors. And um, so I think any room where we really danced. And then my dad lived in these little apartments in the French Quarter. Um, and they were all like so tiny. And we were literally like sardines on top of each other. And there, there was like one point where my dad lived, like my dad's bedroom was like the living room on like, like leather couch that folded out into a bed. But they all like, no matter how kind of tiny your apartment is in the French Quarter, you had these balconies. And so I think when I'd be at my dad's house and, and, um, this idea that you could just sit outside and watch people and be in this really kind of loud. I mean, I grew up one block from Bourbon Street, like lively, you know, really like, you know, you'd be in the middle of Mardi Gras and you'd see the outfits. And it's such a culture of people um, who are so ornate and they really just kind of love wearing costumes and lace and boas and sparkles. And so sounds fucking great. You know, it was really cool. Do you miss it? I think I would if I didn't go back so often. Okay. You go you know, off I go back you go for Mardi Gras. I go back for two weeks during Jazz Fest. I go, I'll go on my book tour and two. I mean, I'm, I'm probably one of the only authors that really like tours in New Orleans. Um, I like make sure I go every um, time I have a book. And so, and my kids, like, you know, I feel like, I mean, I, I mean, my kids were born in Los Angeles, but I like, I tell them they're from New Orleans, which I guess is a weird lie. <laughs> and so I'm like, like there's this BJ Morton song called New Orleans Girl. And I was like, this song's about you because you're like, from New Orleans. They're like, and they're like, are? huh? <laughs> and so I think I try to like bring them there so much. And so they can also just have a different kind of, you know, LA is a really interesting place. I'd never really spent time here until I had kids. What do you think of it? You know, what I'd never experienced because I, you know, was in New York for almost 15 years straight from New Orleans that like, it's a really like kind of single, single industry town. So like you just didn't, I never realized that like you could sit at a table and like everyone works in entertainment in some way. So you're like, you're either the entertainer and this is your lawyer and this is your yoga instructor and this is your agent. <laughs> this is your agent's friend who's also an uh -huh. agent who like also is, an accountant. you know, the manager and it, yeah, yeah. A business manager, whatever. You're like, whoa, like all of these um, energetic streams lead to the same river and that is so not what it's like i think to be in new york yeah. and so to me it's interesting because it's a very um different space and and i'm always just sitting there like random poet in the corner so i'm like i don't know <laughs> like and i'm like i was like i don't even know what i'm doing here to be honest i'm like do you think it's home do you think you'll stay there forever uh, I think we'll probably go back to New York. Um, you know, Simon, um, my partner, has two kids from his previous marriage that live here. Okay. And so when I got when I was pregnant with Memphis or got knocked up, as I like to say, I like that um, better. I 
you know, I, I, I wanted everyone to be together. And yeah. so, I mean, it's cool. I mean, we live, you have to come over. We live in um like a canyon. So it's very, I feel like I'm living this kind of like Joni Mitchell fantasy. Oh, don't That's get me nice. started. I, I'll come you know? there with you. You've got the bandana right. on tonight. You're I know. Ready to, I mean, it's, you've, you're ready. Um, speaking of your partner, your aesthetic obviously is so rooted in kind of your history and the past and kind of where you're from. How is, what is his style aesthetic with your house? And I mean, is he open to it? Is he, is he just kind of go with the flow? Oh, no, we're like in couples therapy over it. Oh my God. Welcome to my world. I was going <laughs> to, I was really looking forward to you telling me that he just does what you want, but that's not how it goes. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. He's got things like he's got oh, little no. things he can't. Like Simon has like certain things where he's just like, oh no, this just makes this feel this way. And all of it is irrational. And you're like, I love that. Really? How fun. Yeah. What sign is he? Because you're a Virgo, right? Oh, yeah. Big time. Oh, no. I married a Virgo. Uh, like, oh. to me, everything makes has to make sense. And I trust experts. So I'm like, I really trust, yeah. you know, who has, like, who knows more than me. Yep. Um, Not him. Whereas he is very like, uh, what? Um, and so we, when we first got together, Simon lived in this, like, evil Marvel villains, like, lair. It hung on a cliff and it was all glass and all marble and all steel. And it was really like beautiful. You know, I, I forgot the architect, but it's like a, it's a really beautiful, like it was a beautiful home. I mean, you walk in and you're pretty much like, wow, this is a real stunner. Yeah. But the idea that you live there is like, who lives here? Do you know what I mean? Who's not going to be like, like a, like a serial killer, Silicon Valley crypto serial killer. Yes, exactly. You know, I, I even when I moved in, um, I, I I lived in the house that has with him for a few months before we moved. But I truly I took over like a little tiny bedroom that was kind of like on the side of the garage, and I painted it all dark green and dark velvet. And like, I mean, I I had like a it, you walked into it, and I'm sure when they like resold the house, they were like, "What the hell goes on here?" <laughs> like, it was like I'd I'd carpeted like a really like antiquey looking carpet like motif over yeah. like the marble of that room so i they're could, like this like, is the one room that hasn't been redone like yeah i was like uh yeah truly it was like this is, is this grandma's room and it looked like that it was insane but it was right. like fabulous and my friend eduardo had helped me do it but what was really cool is you know it was also during covid so everything was happening i had to tour my books on zoom and on Instagram live. And so you were never like what we're doing now. We did 10 times a day, every day. And so Eduardo had created this amazing color green. He like calls it the Clio green, but it truly makes your skin tone look amazing when there's natural light. Like the second you turn a camera on, you just look stunning. Like it was like just kind of blue or warm or something enough that you were just like, whoa, it was so pretty. But it looked like it was an, it was a nuts room, like for, in comparison to the rest of the house. And then when we decided to kind of, when I got pregnant with Bayou, I was like, I can't chase after two, you know, my kids are a year and a half apart. So I couldn't chase after two, like under three-year-olds that small no. in like an all with a floating staircase. Okay. My worst nightmare. Also, truly a floating staircase. Don't understand. Oh my God. Point. What's the point? Why does it need to float? I can't even express like the house was and it was like I had a friend come over one day and she was like, I mean, this house is so beautiful, but it's like oppressive because you're really at the mercy of the elements because it was like all glass, you know, <laughs> so you're just like every room has like a glare and you like have to move all over like when the sun I mean, it was 
it's beautiful. It was so right. beautiful, but you were like, it's like it's like a house for Instagram or something, or like yeah. You know, sometimes even in AD, you'll see these insane houses, and you're like, this is amazing, but like, how do you have children there? Yeah, or where do you put your feet? Yeah, we had somebody, a girlfriend, come over, and she is. I she'll rename nameless, but she is a pain in the ass, and she's older. <laughs> and she sat down in our house, and she was like, "There's nowhere to sit in your home. I don't understand. Nothing's comfortable." And I was like, "But she was right." We ended up changing it because I was like, "She's right. Why is this family room so uncomfortable?" Can I ask you? You know, you guys have obviously two completely different design aesthetics. Did you find something in the middle, or like how does where did you land on it? Because my husband and I have completely different aesthetics. Um, and he's a decorator on top of it, which is so annoying. Um, so you think your husband's opinionated. Imagine he had a firm behind him. But we found like a joint style that works. We're like, I see myself in it enough and vice versa. It's something I'd advise for people who are like more newly living together is that um, what we did when we got moved into our new house was we um, we kind of like agreed on a base layer. And then Great. we decided that we'd like live in and develop it kind of room by room in a way that like felt right for us. Because the thing is like what we forget, and I was just having this conversation with a girlfriend of mine yesterday because she was moving into her back into her house um, with construction. And she was like, called me and she was like, I don't know, I'm just overwhelmed. It's like, I've got my in-laws here and then we're back in the house, but the water's not on. And the da, 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 da. and I was like, first of all, one of those things would bring me to tears. <laughs> like I was like, just just even moving back and finally being able to move into your house is so stressful. And she's like, and and she's a two-year-old oh. and, you know, she's like having showered since Sunday. Like, I mean, it's like a thing. And so yeah. it's, um, it's, it's already, I think moving and moving is emotional. Yeah. And so I think a lot of the times, even your, I think your aesthetic and even your aesthetic choices are end up being emo emotional decisions, whether that's like who you decide to work with on it, you know, how that dynamic works in your working relationship um, or what you're picking. And so for us, we, Simon really loved his old house. It was hard for him to want to move. Um, I was super, I was 10 months pregnant. I mean, I gave birth a week after we moved in. Oh, what a nightmare. So for us, we were very like, we don't, let's not make a big aesthetic decisions. Like, you know, perhaps like this room should be like a beautiful dark green or gray or something like that. But why don't we just have a base layer of like a really nice white and kind of like just keep it really like in, like inoffensive, basically, right. and then really decide to build the personality of the house over time. And it just takes a lot of restraint because for me as a Virgo, I just like look in my dining room all the time and I'm like, check that box. Oh, like, yes, they're like, <laughs> like, there's cool art in here. But I'm like, it's just like, is this just so bland? Like. You know, and I'm, I've never, even right now, it's like, I can't even do a Zoom without like a painting and a mood board and whatever. I've never had white walls in my life. Like, no, my mom's house is like 30 different color walls and back in like yard art in the house. And like, I love it. my mom is like a crafts art collector. So oh, she perfect. like goes to her little markets and it's like, there's 14 different portraits of streetcars in her kitchen. Like, it's insane like i it's go like to monica from friends that her beyond apartment. i just i have no relationship to like white walls or white anything like white yeah. carpets and but it was kind of what we needed for the transition because it helped kind of bring in that like lightness of the modern high ceilinged you know minimalist space that simon was living yeah. in yeah. without kind of just moving him like kind of to a 
whole different place in an entirely different house type of house because it's we have a very traditional house now. Um, and so it doesn't freak him out, but I am like just dying to be like, what can I paint maroon? That's your love language. Was there anything yeah. that you refused to let him bring in the house? The hardest part is our differences in architecture. Yeah. I mean, he wants to live in a modern house. I mean, yeah. Like a circuit city. He's like, yeah. he mourns it to this day. Like we'll be it. Like it's like been two years. We'll be in therapy together. And I'm just like, okay, we got to hear about this house again. <laughs> You're like, I just want it. Some molding. I'm like, I, I was like, I just. I was like, well, you know how it is. You watch your kids fall so often and you're like, uh-huh. damn, like if they were falling on marble every time, like I'm never runner on my wood stairs here. I can't even tell you how many times these kids have like slid down the stairs or thought it was funny to play on the stairs or whatever. I'm like them doing this on floating marble stairs. I'm just like, what? How has it been with them? Um, you know, two kids under five. Have you watched your space change at all since they were born? You know, how is it, how has it affected the design of the house? There are two things. One, I didn't want someone to walk into my house and feel my kids. I wanted to feel that it was a family, but I didn't want them to feel my kids before they felt that like adults lived here too. I love that. Um, yeah. And so it wasn't that I'm like trying to hide my kids by any means, but I was like, you know, we like, I do believe that our personhoods are important as our parenthoods. And I wanted people to feel, and I, I needed to feel and know that like an adult that this is an adult house and a house for adults too. Yeah. It's not the whole story. Yeah. And so, um, we like, you know, the kids have their playroom where like no one messes with them and like their rooms, you know, but I think everywhere else they're like, the kids can go there and we're never going to, we're never mad at them for spilling or, um, you know, we don't have like, even though there is so much white in our house, like we don't like, we'll always just clean up the, the thing or, spray the couch or whatever um i never want them to feel like they can't live in the house Mm -hmm. um but i don't want them to like also like falsely think that they like co-own the house (laughs) so that's smart i feel like we've been the same way i'm like really you know when i got so much shit when my kids were little because we didn't baby proof everything and everything didn't have plastic on it but you know i think also partially because i also grew up uh, from a really low-income family, it was you had to respect the things that were in the home, um, mm-hmm. and you were a part of the vibration of that household. Yeah. Um, and at, when I felt like, at least for us growing up, you know, when, when you have a sense of responsibility and some ownership around what you're part of, it just changed the way you navigate it. And luckily, our kids so far, um, they've been great with that. But we did the same way. We had a, we gave them a space. We're like, go for yeah. it, live your life. Exactly. And like, don't, you know, if you want to just color, whatever happens in like their space, it's like, you know, I really feel is for them. Um, But we, you know, other than that, like, I mean, we even it was and that's the cool thing about even redoing parts of your house um, after you've lived in them, because like, I think six months into the house we live in now, you know, I think I told you this way, this is a crazy flood. Yeah. Um, And I had to redo the entire basement of floor. But when we first moved in, we were like, it was a, it was a floor that was kind of like, um, you know, everything it's like, I think people do this in their basements a lot where it's like all miscellaneous things. So it's like a spare bedroom and there's like, you know, kind of workout space. And then it's like the kids add the whole things, the kids playroom. And it's kind of like, it's like a non-aesthetic kind of just transactional. Yep. So when we decided to redo it, we really like wanted to be intentional. We were like, you know what? Like we should, the kids don't need like a whole kind of basement to like be nuts. They're, you know, three and two. And so we kind of took this little sunroom upstairs and made that their playroom. And then we 
made it like a cool, it feels like a kind of like a speakeasy. And we really like made the like a like a cool bar and a really loungy place. And so it actually feels very divorced from the rest of the house, almost as if there's like kind of like a New York apartment down there. Mm-hmm. Um and so it's really fun because that's where like my girlfriends come to stay when they stay with us. And so it's it feels like you really kind of get away from the family home yep. aspect of our like really nice. kind of family style house. And then we have a kind of like sexy, cool grown up space. Do you want to use this opportunity to own up to the fact that you just flooded the basement so you could finally paint it a color? Yeah. <laughs> this is your opportunity. Okay. Simon, I have a confession <laughs> to make to you. You guys can unpack um, and that our next children. Week. Yeah. Like next week in couples therapy for design. Yeah. Surprise. What's the biggest like aesthetic difference between your life in LA versus your life in New York? Well, I think for the most part, people move to LA to have more space. So um, you find that people uh, have much less multi-use spaces, whereas in yeah. New York, um, you know, your living room is also the playroom. You're, you know, you, you don't necessarily have space for kind of every function of your house with your family and your kids. Um, and so, or, or anything. So I feel like, you know, in New York, um, you know, your dining space is often right out off of your kitchen, which I also love because it's mm-hmm. this kind of shared space. Um, or your dining room is also your office. And so I think that um, because of that, you find that people kind of like think about, could I, what is, could I work here? Could I eat here? Um, and I think that informs it because you, you know, you may not want to like look at white walls all day, or you may feel like I need to look at white walls all day, but I'll have a really great light fixture that will kind of bring warmth right. to it in the evening for when my kind of office table turns into my dining room table. I love that. This is Amy Devers, host of Clever. My podcast brings you conversations you're not going to hear anywhere else with the visionaries and creative forces who shape our world and culture. It's a compelling mix of raw candor and honest shop talk that reveals the humanity behind the design of the world around us. Clever is a proud member of the Surround Podcast Network. Head over to surroundpodcast.com or follow Clever wherever you get your podcasts. Ideas of Order is part of the Surround Podcast Network, where you can also hear shows like Design Tangents from the creators of Cool Hunting or Clever, hosted by Amy Devers. Head over to surroundpodcasts.com and listen now. I've been a huge fan of your your work and what you write and, and more importantly, kind of what you curate. Um, for a long time. And it's funny, my daughter, the other day, we were talking about life and, you know, the weird thing as your daughters get older, which you probably already know being a woman, but they're so far superior, in my opinion. And when you <laughs> raise a woman, you really understand. Um, but we were talking and about life and the future. And my daughter was like, you know what, dad, the truth is, I just I want to have a farm with some horses. And I want to be a poet. I just want to write. And I was my like, God, what? I also dream <laughs> sounds <laughs> yeah, lovely. You're like dope. <laughs> How did you find poetry? Did it find you? Have you were you always a writer? Like what what was your entry into it? Well, you know, now like 
10 years in where the world is very, you know, the literary world is so different and there's this big mm-hmm. market for poetry. I think I did always want to do it, but I, I didn't think I could. Um, and it's amazing even to hear your daughter say that because I would have never said that at her age because I didn't see people make like, like there's some part of her that knows that you could make a living doing that. And I didn't think that that, that you yeah. could. And so I feel really proud because I do feel that, you know, so much of what some of my books like Hard Talk or even what The Road said, because it is a children's book, but it is a kind of a poem, a long poem. You know, I think it really made this kind of idea of expressing yourself through words in a way that can't be right or wrong possible for kids. And I think that that's why children, I know that's why when I was kind of six or seven, I had gotten a scholarship to this creative arts camp at this like kind of like really fancy the, and my brother went to and we both signed up for a poetry class. Um, and I, and I swear, I think it's because someone told us you could nap in it. Like you could like lay down and we were both very athletic. So we'd like, you know, we played all the sports and we played soccer and we played, you know, I mean, we did like every really like recreational thing that like our city could offer us. Right. And so we were like, oh my God, amazing. But now I like think I'm like, oh, it was meditating. (laughs) They're like, everyone's just like, oh my God, I heard you could take a nap if you do (laughs) this thing. Literally. And I was like, and she was actually having us meditate before every class. And so I took it, but she really, um, this teacher really impacted me because, you know, we all kind of asked like, what's a poem? I don't understand. Like, what do you mean? Like write a poem. She's like, well, just start about something you've never seen. And I was like, well, what do you mean? She's like, I want you to think about every bird you've ever seen and every color you've ever seen a bird. And now I want you to describe the one bird you've never seen. And that um, exercise into this like idea of truly putting your imagination on paper in a way that had no rules was Mm -hmm. so fascinating for me. Um, and, and really like just, I mean, to this day, I never forgot that first exercise ever. And I was so young. I remember being like, and I remember it was the bird. And I remember, um, I think I remember writing about like a rainbow bird or something like that because I had never seen that. And I think for me as someone who wasn't a great student, um, I, you know, I think a lot of that, I, I, and, and, and in school, you get kind of caught up in like, this is right or this is wrong or this like, you know, you were right in how you wrote about this kind of figure in history or you were right. wrong about this or, do you know, and so I think in poetry, I was like, wow, it's a space where, yes, there's like kind of different ways to write and you can write an iambic pentameter and you can write in poetic prose and you there's all these kind of, you know, there's a true way to kind of study and have this beautiful skill set in this, but no matter what, there's always going to be like a Maya Angelou or a Nikki Giovanni or a, a Rumi or a Hafez or, and they're all so different and it doesn't, you know, matter, you know, who's writing in haiku or who's not or who's writing in what format. And that was so freeing to me. And so I really kind of fell in love with the idea there. And I'd write kind of my own little poems and things as a kid. And then I kind of buried the dream because I didn't see it. You know, I think I obviously remember seeing Maya Angelou as a kid. um, But, you know, by that time, even in her career, it was like she was making films and she was, you know, she was so many things and she had her doctorate and she had, you know, it was she was beyond. She's a pop culture icon. Yeah. And then in my late in my kind of early 20s in New New York, um, I started writing again and I really started writing as a way to kind of give my friends advice. Like, and, and, and I didn't realize that, but I remember like even when I was just telling the story the other day, one of my kind of more well-known 
poems is some this says um baby you are the strongest flower that ever grew remember that when the weather changes and i remember writing that because a friend had called me i was on a vacation and she called me crying about a breakup and we talked about it for a long time and you know like many of us like when we're listening to someone all of a sudden by the time we hang up we've like had enough space to reflect and have that final mm-hmm. thought that's why we usually like send a text being like Do you know and just so you know remember da 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 yep and i'd written it down in a notebook and i'd taken a photo of it and i'd sent it to her and that was why i had written that and i wouldn't have even thought about that as a poem i just was like this was like the idea that came to me when i was talking to her um and then from there i started kind of putting those ideas on the sides of buildings or online or in books. And to this day, I think of myself more as like a friend responding to another friend um, more than anything than I feel as like an artist or a poet or a writer. Um, I always kind of feel like a friend first. Does it bring you joy? It really does. It's like, you know, it feels like it's such a, privilege to have something that brings you joy and makes you feel like you're doing the right thing for yourself or in your mm-hmm. purpose or, or or makes you feel purposeful um and you know that you're helping other people yeah um i think that's one of the like or bringing even just like you know we forget that even just bringing delight to others um you know i don't think that it's like i don't necessarily feel like oh it's just amazing because i help people because they're going through the hardest time ever but some things just make you smile and you needed a smile. Like, and I think that that's why art is of every medium is so important. How do you incorporate that into the way you live? Like, is there a spot in your house that you ride? Is there a ritual around writing? Is it sporadic? Is there like a space in between spaces that's yours? You know, is there a ceremony to it all? Definitely. I, I have, a, um, I, I have to write on, uh, first of all, I, I have to write everything first by hand. So I have lots of lots of great notebooks and papers and pens. Um, and so everything I draft and, and actually Simon's the same way. Simon, my partner, writes every script by hand before he inputs it. So you'll see like even he has the um, you know, his like college thesis paper ended up being the movie Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Mm-hmm. And he has the first draft written um all by hand. And every X-Men movie is written by hand. I mean, it's it's kind of amazing. Like you see these just tall. He basically starts his process by buying four big bricks of white paper from Staples and sits like clumps of them on his lap bit by bit and writes a script and then inputs it. Wow. I mean, it's it's amazing. And so um I write in I write in notebooks, but um, so I have like hundreds and hundreds of notebooks because I also like never like finish one and then I'll be somewhere, you know, traveling somewhere and see some beautiful notebook and want to buy it and then write in that one. So there's like a notebook I'm a little, graveyard. Yeah. So I'm like a little disorganized in my um and so I have to have a space for my notebooks. I have to have space for mood boards. I always have a board. Um, you know, even with my new book, Remember Love, I had the title as kind of a mantra for the book um before I'd written anything. And so I have these big linen boards and I put, you know, the first thing when I started that book is I had a post-it that said, please remember love. And then I started drafting from that, like, you know, and then this board even behind me is, um, I wrote another kid's book that comes out next year. And this one I drew myself, um, for the first time. And I like a, you know, I like got a D in art class. So it's like kind of crazy that I would draw a book. I'm sure it's going to be fantastic. So I took a year to like teach myself, like, uh, how to, 
like draw objects because, you know, I painted, I paint my letters, I, you know, but I'd never drawn like a teapot or something. And so I grabbed every type of image that I thought I could. I was like, I feel like I could understand how to draw something like in this style. Um, but I have to board everything. And then I, if, when I, when I input, I have to have a really big screen. So I have like a kind of a big computer screen. So I always need a desk. I always need sage. I always need incense. I'm using Athena's incense right now. Yeah, it's good, right? I love it. So nice. So good. I um, have the most insane incense I have to send you. It's, really? It's Please. It's going to change your life. That I mean, I love Athena's, but this is another one that's for the books. Oh my God, I need that. It's so funny. I'm like sitting here. It's, it really, int- there's like a candle, like with smoke blowing in my mm-hmm. face. I'm the same way. I feel like my office, I look like a serial killer because I just, <laughs> it's all these different things. And for me, creativity has to be in conflict with something else. And and I do the same thing. I'm not classically trained, so I just have always sketched an idea yeah. visually in my head. Um, do you guys like leave little notes for each other around the house, or is it strictly work that everything has to be in handwriting? No, we definitely. I mean, I think I'm um, part of how I probably wooed Simon was like I, I do like to leave my little notes. So oh, you I think that's um, you think that's what it was, huh? <laughs> your your love notes. <laughs> I love you, but I'm not I sure that's all it was. There was this one on one of our really early, like kind of early dates. He leaves this like very fancy watch mm-hmm. by mistake. And yep. so I say to him, I was like, hey, you left your watch. Um, so I'll leave it with the front desk. But in it, I left this little note in it that I was like, dear Simon, like last night was the best night ever. Please accept this token of my appreciation, like uh, like a Rolex or something, for for like such a wonderful night. Like I'll wine and dine, yeah. Like I was like I like acted like I was giving it to him as a gift. That's um, genius. So we um, do, and then Simon will like leave me little notes if I'm traveling and I come home, and you know if he's not going to be there. It's um, my favorite. But yeah, we 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 take advantage of post its in this house. I'd say. Yeah, same. I mean. I travel everywhere with them. I'm like a psycho. Nate is not romantic, so I've gotten very used to, whereas I would love a beautiful poem. It's more like thinking of you. Yeah. And I'm like, I'll take it. You're like, I'll take it. Oh, I'll take it. Words of affirmation is not my love language, it turns out, but I would like it. Um, You spoke um, briefly about Remember Love, and I wanted to talk to you about it because I read it and I am obsessed. Oh my God, I didn't know they sent it over. They sent it. I read it twice. What's held, I thought Uh, was, I mean, I was a mess because it was just so poignant. Because the thing that I love about the way you write and what you write is you could turn to any page at any moment in your life and there's a connective tissue to what you're sharing with a, a million, a multitude of different things. But at that moment with what's held, you know, calling yourself the glue and then figuring out what's holding you. Um, I was like, uh, nobody asked me that. And I thought it was so beautiful. What was the impetus for writing um, Remember Love? You know, Remember Love is so different than anything I've ever written um, because I really wrote it in like absolute privacy, which I'd never done before. So no one read this book until it was done. Like not a soul. So Simon didn't read the book until it was done. My best girlfriends, a lot of them still haven't read it. You know, there was no feedback loop for me. And so- it was really scary to share it because I never had that much of a gap between me and even my friends having read it. Cause I didn't realize how much of a softener that is of the bravery of like, 
I'm yeah. feeling this thing and I think this thing is really important to say and I really feel like people are going through this. And I didn't realize that before. I was like, yeah, I kind of knew that because I, you know, call Athena. I talked to her about it. I, you know, I knew like that I knew. And so this one, I really didn't. And so I'd, I felt called and, and I was really severely burnt out kind of right when I had Memphis. And so I remember thinking like, I don't know when I'll have write another book. I don't even know if I have another book in me. Like I don't even know if that's creatively what I want to do next. And then as I was kind of going through postpartum and, you know, kind of watching so much of life change with my friends, they were, you know, getting divorced, they were moving, they were trying new jobs. I mean, so much so people were going through such incredible transformation, yeah. rebirths, like change. And they were really struggling through. And I was like, there's like, I want to write something that speaks to what I feel like people are truly going through right now. Um, and there were so many people I knew, like, I don't, I don't have a single person who didn't bring up that poem to me who has read it, the glue one, like, which is really, if That's I'm so not butchering it, it says basically like, um, you know, you, you call yourself the glue, but while you hold it all together, who is holding you? Mm -hmm. And so this idea of asking like, who holds me um, when I find all this pride and being the one who holds everything, like, don't I need that tenderness also? And I thought what was so beautiful about it is, I mean, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it felt kind of like this love letter to yourself. It felt like a love letter to women. I thought about my daughter a lot while I read it um, because of some of the things that women just have to navigate and the expectations yeah. placed on them with the people around them. And I just felt like it was... Again, which is, uh, I think, so much of your reading has just felt like you were reaching your hand out to the people reading. Do you feel like this is the most personal thing you've written? Or how, like, how does it stack up in what you've written so far? Definitely the most personal thing I've written. Because, you know, I kind of felt like I revisited the moments where I was like kind of stumbling around in the dark, looking for the light, and then mm -hmm. realizing that I had to like turn it on within or refine it within. And so it was this kind of, I wanted to kind of create this book that was like the breadcrumbs back to your own light, um, yeah. even when you're kind of externally searching for it. And whether that's in your career or whether that's in your romantic relationships or relationships with your kids um, or your friends, you know, I write about friendship breakups, which I think are something we don't really talk about a lot, but are, you know, big spaces of grief for people. I didn't want to write, you know, a memoir. And I also wanted to always make sure that there was this lightness in the reading for my yeah. readers, because that's what I really feel. An effervescence. Yeah. But that's also what I feel like my purpose as a writer is like, I think you can go and read the, like, you know, something that's the entire book on vulnerability. But if you actually don't have a bandwidth to do that right now, or like you don't have the bandwidth to sit inside like the trot, like, like, you know, the really hardest moments of someone's life in their memoir. Yeah. You can kind of come to my books or to remember love. And I'm going to say like, here's a real story for context, but I'm always going to like hold you at the end. Like this is always a way for like you to be kind of in conversation or in relationship to a friend, always have your hand held like, and it's not about doom, but it's about kind of moving through and yeah. kind of finding your resilience in, in tender moments. You walked through it with the reader. I mean, that first opening line in um, in a world, you know, I'm oh. tired of feeling strong. I want to feel nourished and everything yeah. that goes on there about your body. 
um, wanting it to feel soft and not, you know, not armor all the time. I don't know. It was all, it was really beautiful. I thought it was just, I thought mm. it was really spectacular. It definitely stuck Thank with me. Thank you. That's why I've read it twice like a crazy oh my person. God. I, I can't wait for you to, because you probably have what, they, they emailed you like a PDF? Oh yeah, but I printed it and bound it. Okay, but wait till you see the actual. Oh, I saw it. It looks beautiful. It's, so do you want to, actually I've never told anyone this story. Do you want to know the crazy story about this? this cover and by the way you finally got your color that you've been starving for in your own personal home exactly and okay so (laughs) this is like a crazy story about this color so okay i'm writing this book i'm I'm doing the cover yeah and i'm like doing my virgo nuts like love it uh, like i can't figure it out i'm like and i'm saying that i'm just like these just don't feel like i want it to feel nostalgic but i want it to feel present i want it to feel like you know, I wanted to feel like a book that you found in your grandma's house or like it, but I also wanted to feel like I just had all these and I was like, and it, and everything was like flat, like every version they gave me. I was like, I was like, you know, it just needs this like, it's like, it needs that like joy, but like comfort and groundedness of like an Amy Sherrill painting. Oh, like, do you know, I was genius. like, you know, cause she, yeah. she just has the best colors, like, yep. you know, because there's somehow it's like, it's always backed by like, however she does that kind of like really gritty gray black skin tone and then the pop of like the bright reds and but then i forgot i know amy so i call her no and i'm like amy please feel free to be like hell motherfucking no like are you insane like are you like an actual crazy person that you could ask me this so i say to her i was like listen i have like i i know the font i know like I'm, I've, I've gotten to this place. I was like, the colors, like, I'm basically trying to knock you off. Can I please just not knock you off and actually, like, have permission to use your colors? Amy says yes, and then sends me an email that is her entire archive with every no. color. No. The cover of the book is this deep red with this kind of beautiful sky blue and this um, really kind of beautiful, like, almost beige, but leaning towards mustardy kind of yellow it's amazing and so we picked this painting to become this cover we pan toned everything exactly out of her painting to make the cover of the book and i would not have i she's in my that's why she's in my acknowledgments because i'm like wow. she brought the life to this book honestly but only you would be like you know what? let me message you let me just oh my god i was out. like I was like, please say no. If you, I was like, I yeah, right. She's like, sure. Here's my ask. entire collection. And Ugh. then, but by the way, like the day I opened that email and I saw it, I was like, she's just. I mean, she's probably like one of my favorite living artists. So I was like, yeah. seeing it, like, I mean, I'll never forget the first time you like see her, Michelle Obama. Like, you know, you. I know. And 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 I mean, but all of her work is so incredible, and you're like seeing it all in one place. And then she says to me, she's, I was just like. Obviously, I was like, it can be like a, you know, one of your like lesser known paintings. I was like, or just give me a painting you like hated and didn't even release. And like, I will take your reject colors. And she's like, I don't care whatever you want. Even if you want the Michelle Obama blue, I'll give it to you. And I was like, what? Like, she is the most generous. Oh, but that's the way it's supposed to be. You know, this collection of creatives, like we're all supposed to be here to champion each other and to support each other. I love that. And it's only fitting. Can I ask you um, a last question and then I'll leave you be? When do you feel the most at home? You know, I wrote, um, and I, I'm sad I didn't put it in Remember Love, but I wrote this um, thing a few years ago that um, home is where your exhale feels best. Hmm. And so I 
I do try to follow that feeling. Um, and I think that something that we can always gift ourselves is um, having flexibility and where that feeling is. Like, I think that sometimes that exhale feels best in like you're the first place you ever lived and you're going home to that space. Um, sometimes it's like where when you're kind of in your kid's bed with them, reading to them. Um, or sometimes it's like that hug from a friend when you like mm-hmm. really, really needed it. And so I, I try to follow like the best possible exhale. That is the best answer I've ever heard. And I would expect nothing less from you. It's nowhere to go but down from here. <laughs> oh my Thank you. God. Thank you for doing this. I really appreciate you. I know you're super busy and navigating a ton of things. And this has been a super, like a big highlight of mine. So oh thank you God. for the time. Thank you so much. I just want to personally say thank you to Cleo for joining me today. As usual, her words have such a profound impact on me. I mean, her answer to where is home, you know, wherever you take the, the deepest exhale, I thought was one of the most beautiful things I've ever heard. So thank you so much. And I'd love to hear about the special places in your life that maybe you've shared with a loved one. Please be sure to post, comment, or tag us on Instagram at CA Closets. Ideas of Order is a California Closets podcast. A special thanks to the team behind the scenes. This episode is produced by Samantha Sager and Rob Schulte at Surround Podcast Network by Sandow Design Group.